0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ask Shane Anything. This show happens because some of you pledge at $7 or more per month at patreon.com sifted. We appreciate those people very, very much. I do really enjoy doing this show. Without you guys showing faith through those pledges, it definitely wouldn't happen. So we appreciate those people. Everybody gets to watch the archive. Everybody gets to ask questions. However, I do give priority to those people who are pledging at that higher tier when I choose which questions to answer on Ask Shane Anything. Once again, you've asked another awesome round of questions. However, these are a little bit shorter. So there's a bonus question in today's episode. Let's get straight to it. Hi-yah! Okay, our first question for today's episode comes from Kevin. What was the best part about doing invisible walls back in the day for game trailers? Is there anything from invisible walls you wish you could bring over to Game Face? Okay, so there's really two angles you need to look at when considering this question, or at least I do. Um, there's the budget and the production side of it, And then there's the creative side of it, what actually ends up in the show and what the show is. I'll start with the budget and production side of it. I mean, the difference between Invisible Walls and Game Face is night and day. Now, I'm sure you look at, like, frames from Invisible Walls, you look at Game Face, like, Game Face looks way more professional, more polished, more TV-ready. I totally get that. However, I'm doing everything now. (laughs) Back when I was working on Invisible Walls, pretty much all I did was I sat down with Ryan Stevens, Like, a few days before we recorded, I'm like, this is the stuff that we need to put into the show. He would wrangle it. He'd be like, who do you want to have on the show? I'm like, basically whoever's available, and that's kind of how invisible walls work. Maybe somebody was really busy on a review and couldn't be on the show. We had enough people to fill in. Um, And so that's kind of how the process worked. And then I would just show up and record... And I'd have notes from the games that I had played that week and that kind of stuff, and i know at the rundown, I'd, I'd be prepared, and I'd do some research if I needed to, but for the most part, I just walked in, saw it, met everybody, was like, okay, this is who's on the show today, did the show, and then walked out and went back to my office. And that was pretty much it. We had somebody else who was working the cameras. We had somebody else who was gathering the footage. We had an editor who was cutting it all together. And then I would go in when the show was done and just watch it and make sure that there weren't any really bad cuts or whatever. Invisible Walls was not one of those shows where we cut footage like that showed exactly what we were talking about at Game Trailers. We would just lay down a big chunk of b-roll basically kind of like what we do on game face but game face definitely we talked to the footage a lot more because when we were doing invisible walls we couldn't see the footage at all we were just going off of memory of what we had played so that's one big difference is that i have to do everything now i didn't have to do hardly anything then like i set up the content for the show with ryan sent it out the rundown figured out who was on the show sent it out rolled in recorded the show and then walked off and then checked it when it was done now i have to do everything I have to do everything. I'd record all the B-roll. I talked about this last week, the whole process of getting a game into Game Face. I don't wanna go through all that again. But basically, I have to do everything now, whereas before, I was like a normal host of a show, where I'd just be prepared, show up, record the show, and then leave. And then in my case as a supervising producer, I would also check the edit. So that's a big difference. The other difference is just budget. Um, if we came up with an idea at Game Trailers, we were working under the Viacom umbrella. We had a huge budget for stuff. So if we're like, oh, we have this idea we want to try, just snap our fingers. We talk to the people who buy us gear, and they're like, oh, we have plenty of money in the budget for this year. They just go buy it, and it would be there like the next day or two. Like, now any new gear is a huge deal. For example, we just had a monitor break. I broke it, honestly. It was my fault completely. Uh, but a monitor fell onto a mouse on Game Face this week and shattered the monitor. And now I have to buy a new monitor <laughs> out of my own pocket. And that's not the way it was back then. So as far as, like, production and budget and stuff like that, I would I would kill to have what I had in Game Trailers and Invisible Walls. Now, let's talk about creatively the difference between the two shows. Um, obviously, the big difference is that we had more people on Invisible Walls. That's probably, you know, I think your mileage varies on that. As a host, it was way more difficult to host Invisible Walls because, you know, I had to make sure that everybody's voice got into the show. I had to cut people off, and I had to push on to other people. I had to make sure that I was talking about the things that I had played, and that, you know, when you're the host, it's like, you don't want to just butt in because you are ultimately in control. So if people are like, oh, Shane is talking too much in this episode, that was on me. So I had to consider that. I had to make sure everyone was getting some time in the show. I had to make sure that the people who had played the most of the games we were discussing were the ones who dominated the discussion in the show. And that could be hard if somebody had a counterpoint or whatever. So hosting the show is more difficult on invisible walls uh, because we only had, you know, we only have one person usually, Matt, on Game Face. That was a little different when we launched. We used to try to bring in guests a lot more regular than we do now. And the reason we don't do that anymore is because it's just a pain in the butt. And people just don't show up. Or they, they say that they're prepared to talk about something. And then you get them on the show. And you realize that they were just fibbing to get on the show. There's a lot of pre-production that goes along with that. And again, I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And then the whole setting up of the Skype and having them sit there and wait for their moment to come into the show. There's so much that goes into it. Again, all that stuff was handled at game trailers by somebody else. I'd have to do it. I have to do it all now. So it changes the creative of the show ultimately as well because would I like to have more people on? Yes. Would I want like five people on a show like we had on Invisible Walls? Probably not. I mean, a lot of that, too, was I was everyone's manager, and I wanted everyone to feel like they had the opportunity to be on the show. And, you know, some people didn't like to be on the show. They're shy, And they, but some people did. And so you had to consider all that stuff as well. There's just so much that goes into it when you're dealing with a bunch of people. Just dealing with Matt is so much more simple and easy. And I'll be honest with you, I feel like the discussions are better with just Matt and I than they were on Invisible Walls. I know Invisible Walls is held up as this, like, pantheon of video game podcasting. But I think if you go back and watch that show, we don't go anywhere near as in-depth on games. I always struggled with invisible walls. I always felt like I was leaving so much unsaid uh, before we have to finish the show. Because we really tried to stick to, like, it's an hour. No matter what, it's an hour. And at the end, if it's an hour and you're still talking, I'm going to cut you off and end the show. I like that we can be a little bit more freeform. And I'll be honest with you, I think as a viewer... You come away from Game Face way more informed than than you were coming away from an episode of Invisible Walls. So, you may have been more entertained watching Invisible Walls because you have five people and the chances of somebody saying something funny is higher when you have that many people. But I think, as far as the quality, the editorial quality of the show, I think Game Face is vastly superior. So, it's, you know, apples and oranges. You may like apples, somebody else may like oranges. um, But, Probably the biggest difference, really, though, is just having a budget and having other people to handle the actual production elements of the show. <laughs> okay, next up, we have a question from Mick Womble. What's up, Mick Womble? Shane, I'm mostly buy Carhartt for casual clothes. Do you have a favorite brand of clothes? We regularly see you in Stussy t-shirts. As an ex-skater, do you still mainly stick to skate brands? I also have three Titans player jerseys plus some other gear. How much Steeler gear do you have? Okay, well, first thing I'll say is I know a lot of people that love Carhartt. And it's funny because it's supposed to be like this farming equipment, like super rugged, super durable, like gear, at least in America. Like you mostly buy Carhartt at like farm supply stores (laughs) in America. Now, the truth is that a lot of hip hop artists in like the 90s in particular kind of co-opted Carhartt and made it kind of like this big brand. Um, So people here wear it too. Um, I don't own any Carhartt, but I have friends that are really into it and they swear by it. And I think generally... It's really durable clothing. Um, so I totally hear you on Carhartt. Just not my thing. Um, you ask about my favorite brands. I mean, you you, you said it. It's Stussy. Um, I have been a Stussy buyer since 1985. I think 1985, I bought my first piece of Stussy clothes. It was a pair of shorts, skate shorts. And I had those shorts for like a month. And I was like, these are the best shorts I've ever owned. They were the most durable, rugged, soft at the same. I love them. And from that point forward, I just kind of fell in love with it because a lot of people back then weren't wearing it. Like, all my skater friends were wearing skate stuff. So, you know, skateboard shirts, and I have some too. They just have, like, the board graphics on the front. It says Santa Cruz with the the hand with the tongue coming out of it. A lot of my friends did bought that stuff. I bought Stussy and more of the streetwear stuff. So, Stussy isn't really a skate brand at all. It's a streetwear brand. Now, it does come from you know, surfing and skating. Those are the people who kind of built the brand up. But most people now that wear Stussy, they don't skate, they don't surf. So it has just become a streetwear brand. And it is the one that I've stuck with. I believe, I believe, I might have one of the biggest Stussy collections in the world. I'm not exaggerating. I've been buying their clothes since 84. And the truth of the matter is, is like I can't fit most of my clothes anymore. I think I can only wear right now like 20 to 25% of my wardrobe because I'm too overweight. All my clothes are for thin chain. Um, all my streetwear stuff is for thin chain. So I love Stussy. Um, what else do I like? I love Extra Large. That is a clothing brand that was started by Beastie Boys. And then I ended up selling it, but it's really big in Japan. Like, no, but one of my big things was I always wanted to wear clothes that nobody else was wearing. And I still do. And I still do. I wear clothes that you won't see anywhere else. I don't know why... I've been fascinated with that my whole life, but I just have been. So, I love Extra Large. I really don't like a lot of the skate brands. Uh, For whatever reason, like, a lot of the graphics are just garish or whatever. Um, I love Bape a little bit, but I don't like the crazy, expensive streetwear brands, because they're just gouging you. So, I don't buy, like, Supreme. I don't buy a lot of Bape. Like, if you're trying to sell me a t-shirt for 180 bucks, I know you're just gouging me. So... I don't go for like the ultra, the ultra high-end like streetwear brands. Diamond is another one. Um, a lot of those brands I stay away from, and I just buy kind of the middle of the road stuff where you aren't getting ripped off, like Stussy, Extra Large companies like that. So yes, I am into streetwear, not skatewear. And now on to like sports stuff. Um, I'm older than you, and I have been a Steelers fan since I was, since I knew what football was. So I have been buying Steelers stuff. My entire life. Everybody knows in my family that if they don't know what to get me, they can just buy me anything with like a Steelers logo on it, and that works. And so I have so much Steelers stuff. I have Steelers Monopoly. I have Steelers Potholders. I have Steelers Bottle Openers. I have Steelers everything. (laughs) Not just Steelers. I have a lot of Penguin stuff too. So my family, their fallback is, I don't know what to get Shane. I'll get him something, Penguins or Steelers, and he'll be happy. And they're right. So I have... I have four Steelers jerseys, I think. I have uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, or as Antonio Brown would call him, Boo Boo Schuster. Uh, I have um, Bettis, Jerome Bettis. I have, um, who else do I have? I have um, Jack Lambert, and I have Joe Green, Mean Joe Green. So those are the four jerseys that I have, but I also have just like a dozen Steelers t-shirts and hats and socks and like everything else. And then I have three Penguins jerseys as well. I have a Penguins practice jersey from back in the 90s, which a lot of people see me wear and they're like, oh, where'd you get that? And then I have two more recent jerseys. I have a Sidney Crosby jersey. And then the funny part is I also have a jersey for this player named Jordan Stahl. He was like my favorite player on the Penguins when they won their first cup like in the aughts because he was a two-way player, and I like players that actually play defense. I don't like players that sell it for offense. And I got his jersey, and like two weeks later, he was traded away. I've never worn it. It's still brand new, because he doesn't play for the Penguins anymore. So anyway, I have four Steelers jerseys, three Penguins jerseys, and then I also have a selection of terrible towels. I have, I don't know, eight or nine different terrible towels. (laughs) Because you get them... you go to the stadium, they always have special ones that you can buy, but I do have one that's like my lucky one that I actually take when I wear to, when I go to games or whatever. So, anyway, that's pretty much all the gear I have for Penguins and Steelers. And then as far as the Pirates go, this is the only thing I have for the Pirates, this baseball cap. That's it. And that's all they deserve. All right, our next question comes from Lashik. Were you ever a LAN guy? Some of my favorite times in gaming were during good old LAN parties. This is something I have to admit. I was never into LAN parties. And a lot of it just honestly had to do with the fact that, like, a lot of my friends weren't hardcore gamers like I was. (laughs) Like, like when I was um, skating, for example, like, my friends played games, but, like, we only played Tecmo Bowl. So we'd go skate all day. We'd go back to my one friend's house, Jim, and he had Tecmo Bowl there. And we'd play Tecmo Bowl until, like, his parents kicked us out of his house. We had to go home and eat dinner, basically. So that's how I, like, interacted with gaming with my friends. None of them were into it as much as I was. So by the time Lamp Party started started rolling around, none of them were interested in that stuff. Like, I was definitely definitely on an island. Now, I did convince, like, so around mid to late 90s when i was in college i did convince like some of my college buddies to get into it a little bit more than they had been before but still like they're not going to like pick up build a pc and then bring it over to someone's house and even when the xbox came out like for i think the biggest problem for me was that like none of my friends bought the original xbox none of them like everybody bought either a playstation 2 or a gamecube like nobody that i knew had an og xbox and so the opportunity for lan parties wasn't there as well so i just have really never run in circles where lan parties would be a thing i mean i'll just be honest like I ran in groups of people that weren't, like, gamers and what people would call nerds or whatever. I still had friends that were people would call gamers or nerds or whatever. But for the most part, socially, I didn't run around with them. And so I didn't have LAN parties and things like that. I was, like, DJing and skating and doing all this other stuff that I like to do with them. And then gaming was kind of this private thing that I did a little bit. Like, people would ask me about it every once in a while. They're like, hey, you play games a lot more than most people I know. And I'd be like, well, you watch eventually everyone's going to be like me, and they're like, I'm not so sure about that, well, (laughs) I was right, (laughs) so anyway, um, yeah, I didn't really go through life with these huge groups of, like, gamer friends around me that would, like, say, hey, come over to my garage and do a LAN party, and honestly, I wasn't too into LAN parties anyway, I was already playing Tribes against 64 people on AOL dial-up at that point on my Voodoo 2 card, um, so anyway, yeah, for me, land parties were never a big thing. It's something that I'm a little bit jealous that a lot of people, other people got to experience. <laughs> All right. Our last question for this episode comes from AJ the legend. What are your gaming resolutions for 2024? Well, let's see. Do sifted resolutions count as gaming resolutions? I guess they probably should. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the big thing is that we're going to be relaunching Game Face here soon with a kind of a different style Um, And again, I'm not going to spoil any of the stuff that I'm working on there, Um, but it will be different. And I think you'll be able to see when you see the show how we're doing it differently, and and you'll probably know why we're doing it differently as well. So one of my big resolutions is to change things up. Um, The definition of insanity... Is doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result and we've been doing the same thing over and over for a while and um, we need a different result so <laughs> we need to do something differently this year and that's what we're planning on doing as i said we're going to start mixing up content on fridays not just doing ash shane every friday getting a couple other things in there for you guys um changing up game face in general i've tried would like to change pactor but pactor just honestly is like no Like, this is a show I signed on to do. This is a show that I'm willing to do. If you want to tweak it or you want to change it, probably not going to be interested. So, Pactor Factor is probably going to stay mostly the same this year, unfortunately. So, I do have content resolutions. As far as resolutions for playing games, hmm. I guess I would say, spurred on by a recent question and Ask Shane Anything, is that I would probably try to spread my wings a little bit and play some other genres I don't play much of anymore, like forex strategy games. I do love that genre, but a lot of times I have to play games only when I know that there's a payoff for it, meaning, you know, if I play a game, it needs to go into our content in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, I can put 4X strategy games into our content if I want to, but the truth is that a lot of you guys don't care about that genre. So, Maybe a one resolution I would have this year is playing some games in those genres and trying to find good ones that I can turn you guys onto on Game Face and other or other shows and our other content. So that would be one resolution. I feel like I've already done so many gaming resolutions through my life. And as <laughs> old as I am, I feel like I've already gone through them all, failed at most of them, and have maybe kind of given up a little bit. Um, maybe what else would I say? Um, maybe play some more Japanese games. One thing I've noticed over the last like handful of years is that. I wouldn't say I've rebelled, but I've just kind of lost interest in a lot of Japanese games. And a lot of the tropes around Japanese games at this point in my life, I'm just kind of really tired of them. Um, So, you know, we make fun of, like, the, "Uh, uh, uh," and then we'll get somebody on YouTube and it's like, you're an idiot, that's the best part about Japanese games. I don't feel that way. (laughs) So maybe rekindling my interest and my love for Japanese games a little bit this year might be a cool thing to do. Um, But for the most part, again, I'm at the point in my life where I've kind of tried almost everything, especially as far as gaming is is concerned, because it's been my job. Um, But another thing I would say maybe is that I would like to connect with more people (laughs) in the real world through 2024 and through gaming. Like, there aren't really events anymore. E3's gone. Like, I feel like I don't Interact with people person to person that much in the industry anymore. I would like to fix that. Um, there's DICE coming up in Vegas here in a couple weeks. I would love to go to that. But again, that's happening right when we're flipping the Switch on Game Face. I'm going to be under the gun to get all that stuff done. It's just not going to happen. There is GDC then in March. And maybe I'll go up to uh, GDC in March and, and reconnect with some people because it's like I'm, I'm talking to them via email and text message. But that face-to-face, there's no replacement for it. So I would like to have more face-to-face interaction with other colleagues in the games industry in 2024. But as far as playing games, like, I want to play this genre more, I want to play this less, that stuff doesn't really affect me that much at this point in my life. Um, I guess maybe one thing I would say is I would maybe try to find a different way to tackle the launch of Switch 2 than the way we've done it in the past. That's something I'm thinking about already. Um, So it'd be cool if I could come up with an idea on how to tackle console launch coverage and put my own twist on it and then watch everybody else uh, steal it and do way more views than I do. It's been really disheartening this week to see all these outlets do it. And I know people say like you should be flattered that they're imitating it. I got over like the first year or two I was flattered. Now it just makes me angry because it's like everybody is doing video game fantasy drafts now. And, like, I look at the view counts on their drafts, and they're just destroying us. Like, they just took our idea, and now they're doing tons of views off of it. And our draft, we were the first ones to do it. Nobody will watch it. It's... Again, uh, people say, oh, you should be flat. I'm not flattered anymore. (laughs) All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything for this week. Just a couple more episodes. And then on Fridays, we'll start mixing things up a little bit. Um, Thanks again to everybody who pledges at that Ask Shane tier at $7 or more per month. Without you guys, this show simply does not happen. Uh, And Thanks to everybody who asked great questions. Although we do need more even though we put the link back in the header of the site the questions have really slowed down for the show again it won't be that big of a deal we're only doing two episodes a month here next month but as of right now it's kind of hard to get shows together so if you head over there click that link in the header go ask me a question we still got a couple more episodes and like i said we're going to be doing at least two a month going forward anyway so thanks again to all you guys pledging at that tier thanks to all our patrons we'll see you on game face on tuesday